As Jude said, I, I'm Ryan. I, I'm part of the team here as well. I'm married to Jude, who you've just heard from. And um, we are in week two, actually, of our intro series. This is our intro series. It's running over four weeks in September. And we're looking at some of the big ideas that kind of help us navigate as a community um, who center themselves around the person and the way of Jesus. Last week, Dave opened up the series, and uh, he looked at what it means for us to be a storied people. He reminded us that we're all storied, whether we recognize that or not. And um, some of us live in stories that are fictions. They're actually, they're actually not true. They're, they're stories that may actually keep us bound up or held down, but we learned that the deepest, truest story about each of us is that we all bear the Imago Dei. We are all made in the image of God, and because of that, each of us and the great diversity of secondary identifiers that make us all human beings, that we all have actual unsurpassable inherent dignity and worth because of that. We looked at how image bearers, we've been created to be in deep communion with God, but there's something wrong with the picture, something's broken. The image has been cracked, so to say, so God has actually taken the initiative to come and re-narrativize our shame. He covers our brokenness that causes us to be separate from him. He comes to cover our shame, to restore us the right communion with himself. And we looked at how in Jesus we have this invitation into discovering our truest identity about ourselves as human beings, to be restored to be healed, to be made whole and freed from the lies of the false narratives that we have been living within. So that was last week. And this morning, my hope is that in some sense, I'm gonna try to sort of pick up where Dave left off. So this morning, I'm gonna be talking to you about this idea of presence. We've already experienced something of the presence of God this morning as we, we've sung together and as we prayed earlier in the back room there, we are a community who center themselves around the presence of God. So what do we mean by presence? Quite a lot, actually, and this morning I'm only going to be able to unpack one particular facet of that for us, I think, or maybe a couple of facets this morning. Um, if you look back over some of the sermons that we have preached in this place over the past two, three, maybe even more years, you will find other sermons on the presence of God that maybe look at some of those other aspects of the presence of God, uh, indeed also the absence of God, what to do when God seems absent. Um, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those to get a fuller orbed view of this topic that I'm talking about this morning. But really, what I want to talk about today is something that I think is actually pretty good news, if I'm honest. This, this idea of the presence of God, this reality, I should say, of the presence of God is very good news for us. In fact, it's maybe the good news that we've all been longing for all along, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to start this morning by letting one of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, get us going. Isaiah had this great throne room vision that many of you may be aware of in Isaiah 6, and he records this 
about the angels that he saw around God's throne in that vision. He records this, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. I love that. God is present in all things and everywhere. He is omnipresent, as we say in the language of classical theism. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. This God, the holy God, you know, the God who is supposed to be above and beyond everything and everyone else, his glory is filling not only the heavens but also the earth. And I think this is actually really good news for us and we're gonna look at what that means this morning. But so what, you might say, I get it, God's glory fills the whole earth, you might be thinking. But what does that, what does that mean for me in my day-to-day life? You know, I was really fortunate to get a pass yesterday to get to go to the beach and finish off my preach. And uh, it's kind of easy to see the glory of God and the sea and the waves and the sand and the beautiful skies, you know, but what about the glory of God and the ordinary things of our lives? It's kind of easy for us to forget this, I think. I mean, when the wheels of life are turning for us and it seems that all we do is get up, we get dressed for work, we bomb out of the house in a flurry of activity, we drive to work with the day ahead of us, whirring through our minds as we anticipate what's coming next. We sit at our computer screens or we answer calls or we teach classes or we pack boxes or whatever else it is that you do until home time when you jump in the car, you drive home, you throw a quick dinner in the oven, you help with the kids' homework, you do the housework, you put the kids to bed, you sort the bags, you do the lunches, you get the clothes ready for the next day, then you collapse on the couch for a couple of hours, you fill yourself full of sugar, and then you set your alarm, you go to bed, you fall into bed, and then you get up again the next day to do the same thing. Well, you may ask, where? that's just a snapshot into our life. <laughs> if you didn't guess, especially the filling yourself full of sugar on the couch in the evening piece. Where is the room for the glory of the Lord filling the whole earth? In that, in the humdrum? Well, here's the good news. Whether we have an awareness of the glory of God or not in our day-to-day lives, it is still present with us. I love how Glenn Packiam puts it in his new book. He says this, I'll just read you a short passage or two this morning. He says, but what if you could catch a glimpse What if you let your imagination wander and your heart wake up with sight? What if you could see who's been there all along? The God who's always been present, your protector, deliverer, and redeemer who is watching over you. He is there when you wake, with you as you walk and work. He weeps with you when your heart is breaking. He sings over you when you're lost for words. He sits with you in the stillness. Surely the Lord is in your kitchen and in your car and in your office in the moments of each day, though you do not know it yet. And this is, this is what I want to talk about today. I think we can actually live with this way of seeing. We can catch a glimpse, as Glenn Packiam puts it, 
or more actually as a part of our way of being in the world. We can begin to live in a way that chooses to see the glory of the Lord filling the whole earth. We can begin to practice the presence of God as has been put by some writers and mystics over the church's past. We can learn to abide in his love as Jesus puts it in scripture. Whatever language we want to attach to this, we're speaking about the same, the same reality. God is here. God is with us right now in this moment. Why don't you close your eyes for one moment and just take a breath. God is present in that breath and the next one and the next one. Here's the thing though. I think it's true to say for the most part that we have trouble seeing the world in this way. We live in a predominantly, increasingly secular age. It's been like a few hundred years at least since what was known as the Enlightenment where there were these distinctions made between the natural and the supernatural or the sacred and the secular. And the thinkers and philosophers and theorists of the time created these distinctions, these dichotomies, um, and these took root within our collective consciousness in the West. Think about this as a good way of imagining it. Think about the difference between thinking about the world and all that is in it as nature on the one hand and then as creation on the other hand. This kind of dualistic way of thinking that when we consider creation as nature and not made by God, distills the world down to the sum of its parts and it disenchants it in the process. It excarnates the world, we might say. We lose the creative song of its maker when we do that. To see the world around us as God's good creation, infused with his glory, actually allows us to see that it is actually enchanted, that it is alive with a song. Glenn Packiam writes about this in his book. He says that goodness means singing along with the song of the creator, but evil is a distortion of that song. But we all, we all get caught up in the rolling monotony of our lives sometimes, don't we? And maybe, like me, you really experience an existential kind of longing for more in life. Maybe some of us are just caught up in kind of like the matrix of our own lives, pursuing our own goals and ambitions in life. But what if the truth of our existence actually means that in any given moment, the beauty and the glory and the presence of God become, could become our experience? What if the way things are supposed to be aren't to exist in some kind of upstairs, downstairs reality with a kingdom of God that we may suppose are, are of a heavenly or a supernatural nature are relegated to being upstairs and us on earth, we're kind of down here, downstairs, and there's like this separation between the two. Like we've been singing about it this morning a little bit, if I could bring a gentle critique to some of our songs this morning. We think our job becomes to invoke God 
to break in or to show up or to come down. Maybe, just maybe, when we use this kind of language, we've got it slightly off. Maybe he was here all along waiting for us to show up. Maybe we just haven't had the eyes to see it yet. Glenn Packham describes this way as saying as a sacramental saying. This is what he says in his book. He says, sacramental theology invites us to see the visible as a sign of the invisible, to believe that the common can be a carrier of the holy. Because God made this world, it is capable of being a container for his glory. The common can become sacred, not because of a magical invocation that changes it, but because this is what creation was made to be. The whole world is full of God's glory. And God has hidden his glory in the ordinary. I think as human beings, we're deeply hardwired for this. Although we've probably forgotten that this is who we are. We're we're, We're collectively experiencing amnesia. We've forgotten who we are and whose world we live in. We've been numbed out to it anesthetized at the presence of God in his creation. Think of those times in your own life when you've seen maybe a beautiful sunset or you've seen a drop of dew on a cobweb or maybe you've seen how the light falls on your children's faces or maybe you experience how a work of art strikes a deep resonant note within your being or how the delight of a freshly plucked blackberry tastes in your mouth. And somehow in those moments, we know we're made for more than just the meaningless grind of a solely material kind of life. I love this little thing written by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She says that earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afar with God, but only he who takes off his shoes Only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. I think this kind of saying starts with having our imaginations awakened, which is what I hope to help start spark a little bit with the Holy Spirit's help this morning for us. I think we need a recovery of being able to see with our holy imaginations, to have them invigorated, reinvigorated, to perceive the way that God is in the world. I think it starts by realizing that God works not just with the awesome and the awe-inspiring, but he works with the ordinary. He works with flesh and bone, dirt and sweat, the imperfections of our own humanity. And this is actually his speciality. This is God's thing. Eugene Peterson, in his message translation of John 1, says this, he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And speaking about Jesus, if you hadn't realized, Jesus 
came into the ordinariness of this world and he showed the glory of God in it and through it. In the incarnation of Jesus, we see God's plan of fully identifying himself, not only with just humankind, but also with all that he has made. God comes and he takes the mess and the brokenness and the ordinariness of our lives and he breathes his life into us and he fills us with his glory. And when he does that, he isn't working against the order of the world that he's created. He's making things line up with the way that they were always supposed to be. As we said, this way of seeing the glory and the presence of God in all things has been called a sacramental seeing. You know, we know this word sacrament, don't we? What is a sacrament? We usually mean something that is a visible sign, a visible sign of an inward grace. Traditionally, as Protestant churches, we know two sacraments. We know baptism and the Lord's Supper. As you probably know, Roman Catholic churches and Eastern Orthodox churches have seven or more sacraments. Um, But if we take the Eucharist, for example, that we partake in every week, the cleansing, atoning blood of Jesus is represented by the wine, the bread being his broken body, shared out for all to partake in and find life from. But this kind of sacramental view of the world says that this way of understanding things isn't just limited to the sacraments, to the bread and the wine or any other sacrament, but that the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. Ordinary things have been imbued with another dimension of reality that we can experience if we have the eyes to see it. This bread is sacred on this table and in some sense, all bread is sacred. The glory of God is revealed in all things. I've got an image on the screen that I want to show you. It's a really poor image. It's terrible. If only I could see it correctly. Oh, I have something in my pocket. Who's gonna be unfortunate enough to be called upon to wear my 3D glasses this morning? (laughs) You three gentlemen would do very well because you're sitting closest. Why don't you gents put these glasses on and tell me if my experiment works this morning, can you see the image? in any more clear detail. (laughs) It's so real, could you almost touch it, Pete? (laughs) Pete's getting really into this, I love it, it's awesome. Yeah, so this this is a 3D image. Same image, but somehow we've been given the eyes to see it in the way that it actually is. I think a sacramental way of seeing the world is a little bit like that. If we have the eyes to see it, we can experience things as they actually are. I love this little quote by Richard Rohr that helps us think about this. He says that we cannot attain the presence of God. We're already totally in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. I think that's true. 
What if the awakening that Roar speaks of is simply to realize with all of your being that you are immersed in God? What if we even for one moment became aware of the glory of God that is all around us and all within us? You see, there is a reality that we live within that we don't always have the eyes to see. There is a reality that followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we get to live out of and within. Can anybody guess what it's called? It's called in Christ. Of all the New Testament writers, the Apostle Paul had some very deep revelation on this, this new reality called in Christ and what it meant for the world. Just gonna read one short passage that kind of summarizes or has the key ideas about what this new reality of being in Christ means. In Colossians 1, Paul writes this, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the summary of Paul's revelation about Jesus. In Christ is the union of heaven and earth. And in Christ is the union of God and man. We are those who are in Christ. And so we should be those who get to experience the realities that have been enacted in Jesus in the here and now. Jesus has opened the heavens. The temple's curtain has been torn in two from top to bottom. In him, we have free access to the very presence of God and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Remember when Jesus, in his earthly ministry, when he went around teaching and healing the sick and delivering those who were oppressed, he had, he had a message that went alongside that, didn't he? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was saying that in him, the reign and the dominion of God was being made fully manifest in the earth. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The Eastern Orthodox Church, they go so far to say that God becoming man and the person of Jesus is the foundation of the good news. They put an awful lot of the weight of God's plan of redemption on the incarnation, on God taking on flesh in Jesus and identifying himself completely with mankind. This is how he saves us. This is how he redeems us. He joins himself collectively to mankind and he offers himself for us on the cross that we might be one with him. This was God's plan A all along to reconcile us humans and all of creation to himself. Dave talked last week about the Garden of Eden story. 
and how humanity was originally created to be in communion with God. We were formed and fashioned to be in the presence of God as his image bearers. This is the deepest truth about who we are, about all of humanity. We carry our maker's mark. As image bearers, we're charged with caring for the earth and its inhabitants. We were supposed to have dominion over it, as as scripture puts it. But there came this fracturing of the original mandate and calling to which God has always been moving towards restoring and healing and bringing back to wholeness. But it's in Jesus that God has revealed us exactly what God is like. He is the face of God. As we often like to say, there is no separation between Jesus and his father. He is the express imprint of his father. But Jesus also reveals this, what it is to be fully human. In him, the fullness of God dwelled. And because we, church, are in Christ, whether we have the awareness of it or not, we get to be the participants of what it means to be God's new humanity. Because we are in Christ, we are the ones who carry his glory, his presence to a world that so desperately needs to encounter him. It actually doesn't even stop there. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians that as the church, we are known as the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul said of Jesus, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God calls us as his church, the fullness of Christ. We are the fullness of the one who fills all in all. This is incredible stuff and it's almost impossible for us to get our head around it if only we had the eyes to see it. St. Teresa of Avila saw it when she wrote this. She said, Christ has no body but yours. As Steph led us in at the end of our worship time earlier. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion in this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body on earth now, but yours. Even if we don't feel like we are the fullness of him who fills all in all, we can still be his tangible, physical presence in the world. We can be the ones who carry his presence in the world for others. My message is pretty simple this morning, really, although it might sound quite theologically deep in places. Christ is in you, all of us, and the whole earth is rammed, chock-a-block, full of his glory. Our experience of God as human beings, whether we like it or not, or our experience of God as human beings is really what it means to be fully human. It's what we were designed for, to be united to and then reflect the source of all life, the source of all goodness, the source of all creativity, 
is what this fullness speaks of. Why don't you sit up straight in your chair for a moment, put your feet flat on the ground, close your eyes, just shift position a wee minute. Close your eyes, take a deep breath. Feel the cool air rushing into your nostrils and the warm air out again. Feel yourself supported by the chair beneath you. Feel it holding you up. The one who sustains the whole universe is also upholding and supporting you. Become conscious in this moment with your whole being of your union with God in Christ. What if the good news was that heaven is here on earth in Christ Jesus right now in your flesh and bones, blood and dirt reality? Surprise, Redeemer. It is. It is. You can open your eyes. Here's the thing though. I don't think we can ordinarily see this for ourselves. I think it needs to be revealed to us. The Holy Spirit must bring us to a place where this is the reality, where this reality of being in Christ is opened up to us. That's what revelation is. We don't discover this for ourselves. It is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm, by my nature, a bit of an information junkie. You know, I love researching and reading up on some pretty obscure things, if you ask my wife, um, fringy topics and that sort of thing. Information is something that can be searched out. Information is something that can be discovered by you. But revelation, however, that's got to come by another party to you. So the Holy Spirit comes to us and he allows us to experience and see this other dimension of our reality. I like how 20th century Catholic theologian Karl Rahner put it. He said this about the future of the Christian faith. He said that in the days ahead, you will either be a mystic, simply one who has experienced God for real, or nothing at all. I think that in these days where on the one hand, the tide of like secularism is high on the one hand, and then on the other, you can seemingly avail of any multitude number of different kind of new spiritualities that are out there. I think Rahner is right for the future of the Christian faith. I think if that, if that word mystic makes you a little bit uncomfortable, let me put your mind at rest about it. We're not talking about some crazy out-of-body kind of experience. We're just talking about experience, the love, the joy, the peace, the kindness, the goodness of God right here, right now. Jesus came in to humanity that we might know God. The Apostle Paul's revelation was that Christ is in you. 
I think the deepest hunger of the human heart is to encounter and know God. I think this is what this is all about. And what I'm contending for this morning is that we live as a people that have had our eyes opened to the wonder and the beauty and the glory of God that fills the whole earth and that Christ lives within you. Can I invite the band up and we're gonna wrap up by coming to the table in a moment. Can I invite you all to stand as well as we do that? The amazing, beautiful thing is that in God's presence, there is only goodness, life, peace, joy, love. I love how King David put it at the end of Psalm 16. He said this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know about you, Redeemer, but I kind of want to get some of that on me. I want to get some of that on me. I want to experience the fullness of joy that is in God's presence. I want to know the pleasures forevermore that are at the right hand of God. I want to be saturated in his presence in the ordinary day to day. I want to be a person who lives and breathes the rarefied air of his glory that fills the whole earth. I want the eyes of my heart to be filled with the vision that the Christ who is in me is the Christ who fills all in all, and that you lot, Redeemer, you're the fullness of him who fills all in all. I think this can be an experiential reality for us, Redeemer. I think there is a reality of the presence of God in all things. There is the reality of Christ in you, and there is the reality of God's manifest presence as we talk about it, when we encounter him tangibly, where the Holy Spirit seems to draw near and there is a certain thickness to his presence. I love these moments, but I don't think they just happen when we gather like this or particularly when we sing songs. I don't think that God especially inhabits the praises of his people. Sorry, folks, that's a poor translation of that particular verse in the Psalms. I don't think it only happens when we set aside time to pray and seek his face. I don't think it only happens when we prophesy or exercise spiritual gifts. I don't think it only happens when we lay hands on people and ask for him to minister to a person or only when we come to the table. But I do think the Holy Spirit uses all of these things as activators of our faith, as a means of grace, somehow to bring us into an experience of his presence. I don't think there's a formula to any of this, but I think all these things are good to do. So the invitation this morning, Redeemer, is to sing.
we're going to sing in a moment. And the invitation is to come to the table here, share bread and wine with each other. This bread, which is the body of Christ, broken and shared out that we may all experience life. This wine poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant, the atoning blood of Jesus, that we may walk free, that we may be whole in him. Come and experience Christ at this table. The theologians talk about the real presence of Christ being at this table. Come and experience the real presence of Christ. Come and drink and eat him with each other. And let's sing as we do that.